Yes. Feel free to come up for prayer at the end. We'll pray for you that the Lord will tell you what to do. Okay, that'd be great. Okay. I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible. And if we are children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with him in order to also be glorified with him. I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing to the glory which will be, re, which will be revealed to us in the future. The creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because the one who, sub su who subjected it. But it was given a reliable hope that it too would be set free from its bondage to decay and would enjoy the freedom of accompanying the glory that God's children will have. We know that until now, the whole creation has been groaning as with the pains of childbirth and that only it, not only it, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we continue waiting eagerly to see, to be made sons. That is to have our whole bodies redeemed and set free. It was in this hope that we were saved. But if we see what we hope for, it isn't hope at all. <coughs> After all, who hopes for what is already seen? But if we continue hoping for something we don't see, then we wait eagerly for its pers perseverance. Similarly, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray the way we should, but the Spirit pleads on our behalf with groanings too deep for words, and the one who searches hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking because his pleadings for God, God's people, according with God's, are in according with God's will. Furthermore, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance to his presence. Because those, when he, he knew in advance he also determined in advance would be confirmed to the pattern of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he thus determined in advance, he would also be called. And those whom he called, he also called, would be considered righteous. And those whom he caused to be considered righteous, he also glorified. Thank you, Paula. As was mentioned a little earlier, um, Joy and I have come to grandparenthood for the third time. 
And so um, I, my expectation here is that, uh, is that the word that the Lord wanted me to deliver will somehow, by the grace of God, come out. And uh, so I just ask you to give me chesed in advance um, in case it is not um, exquisitely articulate. Um, next Shabbat, uh, it was mentioned, Sally Klein O'Connor would be here. We'd like to encourage you to come and, um, and come prepared. Um, and by the way, speaking of coming prepared, I, I have this dream. I'm not Martin Luther King, but I have a dream <laughs> that, um, that members of our mishpacha would be uh, breaking down the door to come in on Shabbat morning to worship. Amen. Uh, not literally, of course. Uh, but that you all, we all, uh, would, would be driven and energized by the Ruach, by the Spirit, to want to come and to want to worship the Lord. And so when we come uh, in the morning, whether we have kid issues, whether we have sleep issues, whatever, that we would come and just take a few minutes before the service and sit and endeavor to praise and worship the Lord and prepare our hearts. Um, we have all kinds of time to visit, folks. And so uh, let's plan on Shabbat morning to come and prepare to visit with Abba, first of all. And tune our hearts so that we can worship him and listen to him. The following Shabbat, um, Rabbi David will conclude the series that we've been bringing that uh, is vision-oriented, but mostly fo focuses on a couple of themes. One, the, um, the basic reality that is rarely explained properly to folks, and that is, what does it mean to walk after the Spirit? What is a Spirit-filled life? What is a Spirit-controlled life all about? And very much integrally related to that, is the foundation that we have as believers, as followers of Yeshua because we are Abba's kids. We've been talking about that. We'll talk about that some today. But I want to, first of all, pause and uh, ask that the, that the Spirit would lead us and give us ears. Father God, we thank you for this precious, these precious truths that you give us. And Lord, like Samuel, we want to say, speak, Abba Father, because we are eager to hear from you. And we pray, Lord God, for ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to take your word and apply it. And uh, Lord God, to receive the change and transformation and blessing and filling that you have for each one of us. We pray, Lord God, that uh, your word would be alive and actively powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. And Lord, that when we walk away from here, Lord God, that your ruach uh, would remind us 
of the things that are in your word. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. I'm sure everybody this week has heard about Robin Williams' death of asphyxiation. Um, obviously, he committed suicide. Um, and by the way, Robin Williams is not Jewish. He was raised Episcopalian, but he considers himself and the Jewish community considered him, him as an honorary Jew. Um, as you may know, Robin Williams suffered from severe depression. And uh, through the Facebook, etc., I, I read a Christian blogger who criticized Robin w Williams as committing a very selfish act in committing suicide. And part of this blogger's response um, was a reaction to the mushy idea of Robin Williams is free now, he's smiling down at us, which um, of course has no basis for reality. However, this blogger went on to say that depression was a sign of spiritual deficiency. Um, in other words, if you experience depression, especially long-term depression, there, there's something wrong between you and God. And as you can imagine, a lot of people jumped on, on him for making that calloused and unrealistic statement. You know, what bothered me about, about uh, his statements was the fact that I didn't sense a whole lot of compassion uh, communicated through this blog. Part of reality is that people who suffer from depression uh, on an average live 25 years less than the rest of the community. It's important to point out that some of the greatest men and women of God suffered from depression, including people such as Charles Spurgeon, who was profoundly used of, by God in 19th century England. And I know from years of ministry that there are many committed believers who suffer from depression. Part of what happens with, with us is that we want to take things and figure things out and put them in boxes and label them. And life presents a whole lot of complexity, things that don't fit into a sound bite, especially things having to do with God and also humanity. So let me just mention the fact that depression is very complex. Yes, it is emotional. It is societal. In other words, how we are raised. It is spiritual, our relationship with God. And it is physiological, what takes place in our body. Um, but at the end of the day, who is the righteous judge? God, not us. And so regardless of where you are or you're not on this issue, if you, someone who suffered from it or do suffer or someone who has not, let's learn to pull our punches because the only one who really has all the facts is God Almighty. And by the way, in the 2006 interview uh, with Diane Sawyer, um, 
Williams made the following statement, that the things that really matter uh, are things that are way beyond yourself. You realize that there are a lot of amazing people out there to be grateful for and loving God. Great stuff, but then he goes on to say, and other than that, good luck. That's what life is all about. And uh, for me, that was very sad because it seems like Robin Williams almost had reality in his grasp and, and then he shrank away from that uh, because what I hope that each of us sees as we go through these portions of scripture is that because of the reality of a loving God our life is not based on good luck. And yes, part of, what he was, part of what he was saying is that our relationship with each other often tend to uh, reflect conditional love. In other words, I like you, I love you because you're good to me. But the moment you step on my bunions, that's it. We're history. Um... And so part of, part of the picture is that we struggle with our relationships, we struggle with ourselves. By the way, Malka told me that part of what they'll be dealing with, addressing, is the issue of performance orientation. And that is, not only our security is based on how other, others view us, but also how we view ourselves. That if we don't measure up to our expectation, and if we don't jump the certain bar, that we're very insecure and, and um, very wobbly. And so we can either park there, we can either base our reality on how people view us at any given time, we can view our secu- base our security on how we view ourselves, whether we measure up to some kind of uh, standard, self-set standard, or we can view ourselves on the reality that regardless of what happens in relationships, regardless of what happens with us, we know the truth of the extravagant love of God. I say extravagant because the love of God from our perspective doesn't make a particle of sense. If you and I were in God's position and we did to God all that has been done to God, we would feel fully justified in saying, I'm done with you guys. And the Lord sure has been tempted a number of occasions. But the truth is, despite the brokenness, despite the sin, despite the ugliness, you know, what we see in this world, what we see in ourselves. Our reality has to be based and anchored on the truth of God's love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Check it out. How incredible is God's love which he lavished or he poured out upon us. This is one of many, many, many statements in scripture that emphasize the Lord's chesed, his, uh, his 
committed, loyal, co committed covenant loyal love to us. And what we have been seeing here in Romans chapter 8 previously is our, what is called here our sonship, which means being, God, being God's sons and daughters. And that is an inward reality from which everything else flows outwardly. Remember what Yeshua said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If, if you are filled with yourself, with insecurity, then that will come out. If you, on the other hand, are anchored and rooted in, in the love of God and his reality and in his presence, that will come out as well. And so part of the issue for us is scripture confronts us with a couple of different and totally opposite paradigms. Are we going to strive to gain others' approval or gain our own approval through performance orientation or are we going to learn to focus on the reality that we are God's sons and daughters? And you know, like anything else, once you take those baby steps and you say, okay, I'm, I'm choosing to park here, to, to believe here, then you get tested. It seems like all hell breaks loose and you go back to battle patterns of saying, I could have done that, I should have done that, I didn't do this, I, what they did was awful, what I did was awful, and just kind of go in a, what the computer people call loop-a-loop, -loop, you know, sort of inescapable. Or you can stop and say, Lord, get me out of that loop. Get me out of that loop. Because the Lord promised to us that yes, we will have trials. I know that's quite the promise. You want to say, okay, let's see. Can we uh, delete that from the Bible promise book? The Lord promised us that we will have trials, but also that he will walk with us. Again, scripture is filled, folks, with statements, strong, definitive statements about the fact that God walks with us through all these things. As we will see that at the end of this chapter, when Rabbi David preaches... But there are all kinds of statements. Uh, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In other words, the Lord doesn't see one kind of trouble and say, eh, you know, this is really too big for me to handle. I'll let these guys stew in their juices for a while. Ever-present means that in every situation, He is there, right? 1 Peter 5 10, and the God of all grace, after you've suffered a little, and sometimes you feel like, Lord, you know, you can drive several fleets of Mack trucks through that little word, little. After you've suffered a little, he himself will restore you or equip you, make you strong and firm and steadfast. In other words, that our suffering, because we are God's sons and daughters, are never wasted. 
They always have a redemptive purpose. If only we will turn in that direction instead of bucking God, instead of fussing and fuming. And even our understanding that we're sons and daughters of God is something that comes to us because the Ruach is with us, kind of spurring us onward and, and poking us in the ribs and saying, hello, where are you parked? You do not receive a spirit to make you slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father! By the way, I'm not being dramatic. That's what the text is saying. Crying, like literally yelling. Um, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So let me pause and throw out a question for you. Do you have any sense that you are a son and daughter of God? And if you don't, or if you're kind of wobbling that because of circumstances, let me encourage you as, as we, after we conclude and we have a time for prayer, let me urge you to stop and say, Abba Father, would you give me new pair of glasses, new eyes by faith that I can see. Once again, I, I get a fresh look at the fact that I am your son or I am your daughter. that I would be able to look beyond the facts on the ground and be able to see who I am in you and, and that I will be based and anchored in that reality. Again, the Word of God does not promise us a bed of roses. But what Scripture does promise us is the presence of God, the active, engaged presence of God with us. In fact, that's normal. Verse 14 of, of this chapter, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now you can look at that negatively and say those who are not led by the Spirit of God are not sons of God. Or you can see the text for the plain meaning, which is, it is normal for us who are sons and daughters of God to be led by the Spirit. So the big question is, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We've been talking about that for the last few Shabbatot out of a deep conviction that if we were to take a hundred people and ask them what does it mean to walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, we would probably get 200 different answers. Some of which would, would say walking after the spirit means speaking in tongues and prophesying and falling on the floor and rattling, etc., etc. And the answer to that is yes and no. Actually, mostly no. Because scripture gives us a couple of basic polar opposites. Walking after the, the spirit, walking after the flesh. 
You don't have gray, mat, uh, gray uh, shades here. It is a stark difference. And yes, we kind of shift back and forth from one to the other. But again, what does it mean to walk after the Spirit? If, if you were to go back, and which we will not do if you were to go back, let me encourage you to reread the first uh, sections of this chapter. The basic issue simply is what drives you or who drives you? Are you self-driven? Do you sit down with your plans and strategies for a day, for a week, for a month, and say, this is where I'm going? And... Does God have very little to do with that? Do you plan things out and then say, God, would you please bless me? In other words, put a little pixie dust. Give me a little grace and favor. And, uh, and then expect God to say, oh yeah, this is cool stuff, I will bless it. Well, at least the God that I know, that I see portrayed in scripture, doesn't operate that way. You know, he has the nerve to expect that we would come to him in humility and lay things out before him and say, okay, Father, what is your plan, your strategy? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And then expect that God will actually show you and that the Ruach will empower you because if you're doing things by the Spirit, then it's not going to be self-produced, self-empowered. It's going to be self, it's going to be driven by the Spirit of God. As many as our sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. That's normal. Anything else, folks, is retarded. Now, I know we struggle with that whole issue of how on earth is God going to lead me? And perhaps you're reactive to all the folks who say, God told me, 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 told me. And you look at them and say, right. Um, maybe you think that you have a, a cell phone that has a direct line to, to God. So we can react to that or we can view that with a great deal of insecurity and say, you know, I'm not one of these great big spiritual giants. Um, And if you do that, you're accomplishing two things. You're first of all slamming yourself and you're slamming God. You're implying that God is incapable of getting through the titanium plates that you have and conveying his will, conveying what he wants. Think of it. If God has a plan, which scripture says he does, would he be interested in you and I getting what that plan is so that we can follow it? Or would he play a cat and mouse game with us, a uh, now you see it, now you don't which is typically the way we approach God. A horrible statement of unbelief on our part towards God. 
So we simply come in faith and say, Lord, would you please speak to me? And perhaps you say, I don't have much faith. Even for that, God has answers, folks. Because where does our faith come from? Does it come from us because we sit there and think deep spiritual thoughts? Or does faith come from God? So you say, Lord, I'm over here. I'm pretty, not retarded. I'm over here somewhere. Um, I need faith. I need basic understanding. Would you please give all of those to me so that I can hear and know and, and understand and be equipped to follow and to do what you want me to do. Isn't that sensible? Amen. And, and instead we have all these um, lies that we, we project unto God thinking that, um, that what he wants to, to do with us is absolutely obscure. And you know what the Torah said? That God's instruction is not way up here uh, in the stratosphere or... Um, in beyond the galaxy that we should send a spacecraft to, to track it down and bring it. But, but God's Torah, God's instruction is very near to us. And yes, it is profound, but yes, it's very simple as well. And all of that is how the Holy Spirit is involved in the process. Because God knows that we have weaknesses. And what we're told in this chapter, in verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word for weakness there simply means to be incapacitated to do something. Weakness just doesn't mean to sit there and have no strength. It, it, it is the lack of the ability to carry something out. Because folks, our, our life as followers of Yeshua has the basic reality that we've been called by God to follow in His plan and to do what He's called us to do. So we're weak, okay? All of us. And... Um, as I was preparing yesterday, um, you know, we all have days like that. It seemed like uh, even if I were to take uh, a syringe and fill it with uh, espresso, uh, it seemed like nothing was going to help. And, uh, you know, at, at some point I'm beginning to get it, so I just, I just waited and eventually prayed, and eventually I realized, you know, that maybe God was wanting to teach me not only about my weakness, which I knew, but the fact that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the truth is, we come to this um, not only weak, but also timid. We lack confidence um, because we are not willing to trust God enough and because of that we look at ourselves and say who am I? You ever feel that way? You look at God and say God who am I? You know you have all these 
wonderful, articulate, dynamic, charismatic, gifted folks. Who am I? And a few weeks ago, we looked at Paul's example. You know, Paul, the big guy. Uh, that he stated, when I am weak, I'm strong. My weakness provides God with a platform or a stage upon which to demonstrate his, the complete, weak, uh, complete strength that he's got. And it even comes to a simple matter such as praying. You know, life gets so intense and so difficult, so painful sometimes, that we don't stand before God and perform one of these awesome and glorious high priestly prayer. Oh, thou who dwellest in the heavens, uh, who reignest above the cherubim, and so on and so forth. Um, there are times when the best we can do is help. And do you think God hears that? Part of the, what I wanted to touch on briefly and hopefully not to stir any controversy is is on the uh, verse 26 and 27. Um, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that that words cannot express. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So typically, the way these verses are often interpreted as meaning that this is referring to praying in tongues or praying in the heavenly language. And as I studied this, it became obvious to me that whatever is taking place here is infinitely greater than that. Again, remember, folks, anything about the mystery of God is just that, is a mystery. And when we seek to take the mysteries of God and shove it into a soundbite, it doesn't work. So I wanted to point out a couple of things, regardless of where you are on this issue of praying in tongues versus not praying in tongues. Um, And it's not that we're opposed to one another. We just have different perspective, perhaps. First of all, who's doing the work here? The Spirit is the one who is doing the work, not us. So it's really not, per se, about us praying. Somehow, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. It's a mystery. We know that Yeshua intercedes for us. Second of all, we see in a couple of places that every single believer is expected to pray by the Spirit. We see that in Ephesians 6. We see that in Jude. Again, what does that mean? Well, polar opposite. Are you doing something by the Spirit, driven, empowered, led by the Spirit, or are you doing something by the flesh? In other words, self-directed, self motivated, self-consumed. And so, praying by the Spirit, regardless of how it comes out, 
simply means that you learn to come in humility and say, would you please lead me, Lord, by your spirit? However you phrase it, you have the expectation that what will come out of your mouth will not be your profound words, but it would be words that somehow the Spirit of God leads and, and directs and empowers and motivates. And we know that as we do that, we know that we have God's ears because the Spirit somehow directs us to pray by the will of the Father. A couple of practical how-tos when it comes to that. You know, we often come and pray and our prayers are basically monologues. You ever feel that way? You had a rough day, your, your innards are churning, and uh, you just want to come before God and <laughs> just kind of spew it all out, get it out, and okay, I'm done. Uh, 10 minutes, thank you, God. I'm on my way. Um, prayer is a conversation. Which means we talk, but God needs to talk. And that somehow... God Almighty, the one who created the universe and the 14ers can somehow manage to communicate to us. Amen. Right? No? If we sit back and wait and, and listen and, and we don't sit and go, mm, mm, we do what scripture tells us to do. One is, as we sing each Shabbat, enter his praise, his gates with thanksgiving. Begin by simply saying, Lord, I thank you. And I hope every single one of us can sit down and seek to be in God's presence and have at least one thing for which you can be thankful for. I hope so. If you don't, uh, you need to pray. Or actually, we need to pray for you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And let me tell you something, folks. If all you do during the designated time, if all you do is praise and worship God, I hope you realize that that's been a great, great and wonderful and awesome time. And no, you didn't go through your checklist of things to pray for. But you and God just made a, a stronger connection. And based on that, you know that good things will happen. Amen. So you walk away in awe, knowing that you've been on holy ground. And however all of that looks like, really is not the point. The point is simply that we understand our need to come before the Lord, our need to learn to pray by the Spirit, our expectation that maybe the master of the universe can communicate to us, and our desire to hold back on the long list that we may or may not have and say, okay, God, um, we only address this much and I have this much, I'm going to trust you for the rest of the 
items that have not been covered because you can cover them. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, part of what scripture says to us here is that we go through difficulties, we suffer. And by the way, reality check, we in the United States know nothing about suffering in comparison to believers in other countries. I hope you realize that. However, we have our struggles, and and Paul says that um, we share in Yeshua's suffering on an ongoing basis. That's part of reality. And what that does, folks, is it makes us feel like we're in kinship. We are Yeshua's brothers and sisters. Just like he suffered, we suffer. Because we are strangers in the, in this in this um, in this on this earth. And yes, again, Paul goes on and using some pretty pretty dark color. Verse 20, creation was subjected to frustration. Um, I'm skipping a little bit in hope that uh, and, and we, we also have hope that creation will be liberated from bondage to decay. The word for decay there means disintegration. What does that mean? Well, if you're a parent, you know that real well. It's called the third law of thermodynamics or entropy, which means that left alone, everything will descend into its lowest, lowest state of chaos. Come into your boy's room uh, after having devoted all kinds of time and, uh, and say, what happened here? Did a train come through here? Um, I love to garden and I haven't had much time the last couple of weeks and I looked out m- my uh, backyard and it looks like there's a jungle. Um, and so I got worked up and took my clippers and went out and, and chopped all the weeds and there was the yellow rose. But life is like that, folks, and we groan. And by the way, the word for groan there means to feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. But it's like everything else in our life, it is not wasted. It is pain that leads to something productive, to a great blessing. Ultimately, of course, Paul is talking about the big picture when we see the Lord and then beyond that when we have the resurrection. But even today, even today, we go through pain and we recognize the fact that God is working good things in us. The Spirit of God is teaching us what life is really all about. And Paul says that the presence of the Spirit in us is like hors d'oeuvres of the greater banquet. And yes, we go through trials, and yes, we go through suffering like Yeshua did. 
But like him, we keep our eyes on the goal, recognizing the fact that God has good, awesome plans for us. Then I want to conclude with a couple of thoughts from the middle of the section, verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what he has already seen? Okay? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it with endurance. Again, not a word that we like. You know, the, the W word, the wait Remember scripturally that waiting is with expectation to see what God is going to do. It's waiting with endurance. God teaches us not to be sprinters, but to be long-distance runners. You understand the, 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 the metaphor here, the picture. It's easy to get going, to get energized, and, and to sprint sprint out of the gate and then to fade out you see that all the time what, what the Lord expects to build into our character is the, abil- the ability to persevere the ability to hang in there the ability to have a long view where we're able to see not only what God is doing now but discern what God wants to do in the future And all that is based not on us, but is based on the fact that God is actively and currently engaged in working with us. Verse verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good to those who love him. And yes, it's possible to interpret that, this verse in that manner, and people do, and it, it... almost comes out like karma-ish. You know, things work out. If you're good, then, yeah, good stuff will happen. I don't see that in Scripture because what we see is that God is actively engaged to take things and to work them in our life so that they turn out for the good. He's able to make lemonade out of lemons. He is sovereign and he is in control in all situations. And so yes, there are times we feel like we're in a deep end and we're struggling. Totally unaware of the fact that God is right there. That all we need to do is reach and grab him. And even when we can't, he'll reach and grab us. That the Spirit of God <clears throat> is active with us even when we pray, especially when we pray. And our expectation is that God has been at work and He will finish. He will get the job done. That, folks, is based on knowing who Abba is and learning to understand and reject the lies about him and about ourselves. Let's pray.
But Father, we uh, come to you this morning. Very much aware of our brokenness and, and our unbelief. Lord, how we choose to believe all kinds of lies about who you are. And instead, we choose to focus on ourselves and our abilities, our inabilities, and on others. We pray, Lord God, that you take our eyes off the pots of clay, Lord, and put them firmly on you. We pray, Lord God, for a deepened conviction in each of us, Lord God, of our status as sons and daughters of God. We pray, Lord God, for the confidence that, that we have, that we need to have, Lord, of your Ruach being continually at work in us. And thank you, Lord God, for the fact that you are at work and that you who have begun a good work, that you will complete it, that you will bring it into fullness. We pray, Lord God, for that to take place for each one of us. And we ask, Lord, for the eyes of faith, Lord, for the measure of faith, for the heart of courage to trust you, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. <laughs>